Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at One Church. And I want to say this, um, if this is your first time uh, with us today, um, or maybe you've been with us for quite some time, um, I want, I want you just to let you guys know that God wants to say something specific to you this morning. Um, we're in this uh, study of the book of Esther. And uh, last week we started it, and we read all the way through chapter 1. And interestingly enough, even though this book is called Esther, we didn't read her name once last week. Not once. And one of the things we talked about even last week is that even though we have not read Esther's name once, there's 10 chapters of this book that we're not ever going to read God's name any in this book. That when the writer, when the writer who wrote Esther... Uh, He did so in such a way, moved by God, so that God isn't obvious on the page. That God is not obvious. And last week we talked about that even though God is not obvious, he's not absent. And we talked about that just from a practical standpoint from our lives. Because this book contains no miracles It contains no miracles whatsoever. This book, um, God is working through the mundane of our life. Just the ordinary, ho-hum, small, we think is insignificant details. God is working behind the scenes. And even though he's not obvious, he is never absent. He's never absent. Last week we were introduced to Xerxes. He was uh, the king of Persia. And Persia, anybody remember where Persia's at? It's modern day what? Iran, that's exactly right. So modern-day Iran, Persia, uh, King Xerxes is the king. And um, we learned about also he had a queen by the name of Vashti that we uh, saw for about two seconds. And uh, he got mad with the queen and banished her. And uh, all of that was the backstory to where we're getting to the meat today. And that is where we're introduced to the person this book is named after, and that is Esther. We're going to see this little small foreigner, this little teenage peasant girl who um, is getting ready to be thrust into the limelight of affluence and royalty and power and influence. So uh, let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to Esther chapter 2. And if you turn in the middle of your Bible, if you're in Psalms, you're going to take a left and uh, you'll see Esther. And this is what Esther chapter 2 verse 1 says. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, because he got angry, he called the queen, she didn't come, so she banished Vashti. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began to think about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each of the provinces to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, who is in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. Well, duh, right? So he put the plan into effect. Now, here's the cool thing. God is going to use a beauty pageant to be able to make his plan happen. 
God is going to use something as common as a beauty pageant. You know, one of the things that I want us to land on a little bit this morning is by saying, you know, so many of us, we think, you know, well, God, he couldn't use that part of my life. It's just too common. It's just too ordinary. One of the things that we're going to see is that God can use the small things in our life to set us up for influence. His plan to bring Esther into this story was using a beauty pageant. And I believe that it's the small things that create big opportunities for God to move. See, some of us, we think, you know, it's just, it's not that big of a deal in my life. It's not that big of a deal. It's just small and it's insignificant. But remember, last week, it's in the small things that God moves in our life. It's in the small things that sets us up for influence. Now, so we've been introduced to uh, Pimp Xerxes. Um, now let's uh, get introduced to another major character of the book. Uh, and this is found in verse 5. So this is where it starts in verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa in the fortress whose name was Mordecai. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. His family had been among those who had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called, yeah, Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as her own daughter. So the first person we're introduced, even before Esther, anybody remember his name? Mordecai. And it says his name was Mordecai, and then he's described as the Jew. Mordecai, the Jew. The first description I want you to kind of hang on Mordecai, and we're going to be seeing him all through this book, is that he is a Jew. Now, why this is interesting. The entire Old Testament is written about God's people that he chose, and they are the Jews. And uh, what's interesting about this is nowhere in the Old Testament is somebody given this description, a Jew, even though they are one. Like some of you, you've heard of David. Nowhere in the Bible is he called David the Jew. Or Moses. Nowhere in the Bible is he called Moses the Jew. Uh, Even in the New Testament, Jesus was Jewish, but nowhere in the New Testament is he called Jesus the Jew. So why in the world did the writer say Mordecai the Jew? Well, think about this. How many of y'all have been watching the Olympics? Anyone? Uh, They end today. I'm kind of sad because my life can go back to normal. Um, We have been watching all kinds of wonderful things happen. We uh, we saw um, a couple of weeks ago, Xin and Zhao from China. Uh, They ended up uh, winning a gold in the figure skating. How many of y'all seen that? Anybody remember that? All right, cool. And then there was also, I love this name, Tai Bum Mo. Um, Tai Bum Mo from Korea won the gold in the men's 500 meter speed skate. Now, how many of y'all also seen Apollo Ono? All right. Um, I mean, we don't say Apollo Ono, the American, right? You see, why do we say uh, from China or from Korea? Well, very simply is because... Um, we're not from there. They're from there. So in our minds, okay, they're, they're foreigners. They're different than us. They are, they're from a different, they have a different background. They're from a different country. Well, amazingly enough, in this story, every time an ethnic description is used, it's always used of a foreigner. Why is Mordecai described the Jew here? Because he's a foreigner at this point. He is not in Israel. He's not in Jerusalem. He is in Persia. Now, what's amazing about this is the Jews could have went home at any time. 
The Jews could have, have chosen to go home at any time now because uh, an- another king said, y'all can go back home. And most of the Jews went back home, but yet these Jews, Mordecai and his family and his, all of it, they chose not to return. And that's kind of different because um, you kind of want to ask the question, why, why didn't they return? In fact, nowhere in this book do you ever see them longing even to go back home. And here's the point. It's because Mordecai and his, uh, and his cousin Esther, they have become almost, and the rest of the Jews there have become so assimilated. They've compromised so much that many of them can't even read their own language, the Hebrew language. They can't even read their own Hebrew Bible. In fact, it took uh, a couple hundred years later, it took uh, another person to translate the Hebrew Bible into a different language so that many of these Jews could even read it. So they had become so compromised in their beliefs and their morals um, that uh, they have just kind of fit right in into their culture. And we talked about a little bit about this last week, but some of you, we think, you know, well, God can't use me anymore because I've compromised too much. And what's so cool is God is getting ready to show up and use a little girl and her family who really have lost their distinctiveness uh, in, um, in the grand scheme of things. So let's keep on going, all right? Now, not only was he a Jew, the second thing uh, that he is described in verse 6 and verse 7 is he was in captivity. He was in captivity. It says in verse 6, his family had been among those who had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, see, the reason why he's in captivity is he wasn't in his homeland. God told the Israelites, he says, okay, I want you not to worship anybody else, no other gods. And if you worship other gods, I am going to discipline you and I'm going to remove you from the land. And that is exactly what he did because they disobeyed and God removed them from the land. All right. Now, so Mordecai, he had a painful past. He was not where he was supposed to be. He wasn't where he belonged. And some of you, you feel that way right now. You're just not where you belong right now. You're just, you're, you're far away from home. And for whatever reason, you are just, uh, you're longing to maybe even go back home. Mordecai, we don't see that longing, but he did have that painful past. In fact, I want to read to you how the original language translates verse 6. Because it says, exiled. Um, it just says exiled there in the New Living Translation. Look at this, how it, it reads in the original language. It's very odd. His family had been in, what's that next word? Captivity from Jerusalem among the captives in captivity whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took captive. Captive, and that word is mentioned four different times. And the thing about it is, if you and I are going to understand each other's story, there's going to be certain things that we're going to have to talk about. For Mordecai, what defined him, the painful stuff in his past that really gave him a different perspective on life was he was a captive. He was a captive. He was a foreigner. You and I cannot know each other unless we share certain things about our stories, even the painful parts. This is why it's so important and why we do this here at One Church is uh, in a community group. How many of y'all are in community groups? Let me see your hands. Awesome. When you got into a community group, what you did in that first six, eight weeks is you told your story. You shared your story. And then everybody in the room shared their story so that you could get to know one another. Well, <laughs> That's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. In fact, I got a fella um, who's leading a community group. And one of the things that he had talked about, 
uh, he, uh, first group, uh, first night of group, they kind of shared, and him and his wife told their stories. They told their stories, and as they're telling their stories, one of the things about their stories is uh, my friend ended up making a stupid mistake, and it almost cost him his marriage. And uh, even, though, even though this happened over a decade ago, and their marriage is very strong now, um, we all can make mistakes, and he made a very painful mistake. Now, most of us, when we make those stupid, painful mistakes, we don't really, we try to cover them up or we try to hide them. My friend, um, he just, he just shared it. Hey, I ended up doing this and it resulted in this and I almost lost my family. Amazingly enough, because he was honest and transparent enough to be able to share that as he's sharing with the other couples in their group, the next week is everybody sharing their story. Out of the six couples who are in that group, five of them had experienced very similar circumstances as him. Now, do you think it was just coincidence that God put them in that group? No, I don't think so. Because when we are able to be truthful enough and share our stories, even the painful parts of our stories... God can use our story to change the story of others. And that's our big idea today. Our big idea today is God can use your story to help change the story of someone else. God wants to use every part of your story, even the the junky parts, even the parts that you don't even like talking about, even the parts that you don't spend a lot of time on. God even wants to use those painful things So that you, just like my friend, so that you can help people who went through similar circumstances. This is so very important. God can use your story to change the story of others. You know, some of us, just like Mordecai, you may be in captivity as well this morning. And maybe not captivity and you're in a foreigner or something like that. But maybe you're held captive by some bad choices you've made. Maybe you've been held captive because... Of some sinful things that you've decided. Maybe you've been held, held captive by um, things like uh, eating disorders, um, internet pornography, affairs, gossip. I mean, drugs, alcohol. What are the things? Because all of us, in many ways, we're captives, we're in bondage. And when we share our story with other people, you're not really going to know me and I'm not really going to know you unless we get real honest with ourselves and real honest with each other and we just share. Y'all have heard me share about this before, but one church, you know, one church would have never, ever been started had not I had walked through a very difficult time and getting bumped out of a church. Because many of you have been bumped out of churches. And we said, you know what? We're going to start a church for people who either never have been to church before or people who maybe have been to church and they don't go back for some reason. That's part of my story. And it's not a glamorous part. It's not a part that, you know, anybody likes talking about it. But it's like it's those parts that God can use even the stuff in our lives to be able to impact the story of others. Now, we've seen Mordecai and all of his baggage. Uh, He was a foreigner and uh, he was in captivity. Let's get introduced to Esther and let's see that she has a painful past as well. All right. Verse seven, Mordecai had a very beautiful and lovely cousin, 
Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into the family and raised her as his own daughter. Esther, just like Mordecai, had a painful past. She was what? She was an orphan. She was an orphan. Uh, some, sometime, it, I, she was probably a very small girl because culturally she couldn't be any older than in her, in her teenage years at this point. Um, she was probably 14, 15, 16, somewhere around in there. We don't exactly know. But the, in this verse it says that her cousin raised her. And, and that word literally means it had to have been early on. So she could have been four, five, six when she lost her parents. We don't know. But it's been quite some time because who raised her? Mordecai did. She is an orphan. You're not going to understand any of Esther's story. You're not going to understand this book until you always process that Esther is an orphan. She was an orphan. She began her life with the worst pain anybody could imagine. The worst pain. She had the ultimate trauma a child could have. And that was losing not just one parent, but both of her parents. Imagine not having the memories of a dad. A dad who, who placed her on his shoulders. A dad who called her a princess. Imagine not having those, those memories of a dad. Ima- imagine not having a mom to braid her hair or to play kitchen with. Imagine not having a mom to just to train up this little girl to become a young lady. Imagine that. The pain of that. Of not having any parents. You know, it reminds me of the story as I was reading through the book of Esther months ago. It reminded me of the story of my mom. Here's a picture of my mom. Um, my mom is not the, the adult in this picture, but she's the one on the far right. Her name is Sheila. And uh, Sheila uh, lost her, her mother when she was six years old. Her mother's name was Frances, and she was 30 years old. She died of pneumonia. And uh, when Frances died, she left my mom, who was six years old, and she left her sister, who was two years old at the time, and also left a two-day-old little boy by the name of Teddy. And um, as I was talking to my mom about this, I said, Mom, you know, how was it? Do you have any memories of your mom? She says, you know, I really don't. Um, She says, when I smell the divinity candy getting made, it reminds me of my mother for some reason because maybe she made divinity candy, I'm not sure. But it always takes her back to that. But she really doesn't have any memory of her mother. And by the way, my mom's dad, he, uh, he drove a truck, he drove a semi, and he was gone Monday through Friday, sometimes even longer. Just an entire weeks at a time. So who raised? Who raises a little girl? Well, for my mom, it was her granddaddy. Uh, she called him Pappy. It was her Pappy that, that raised her. It was her Pappy that cooked. It was her Pappy that cleaned. It was her Pappy that, um, that took her to church. Her dad didn't take her to church. It was her Pappy that when she got sick, helped her out. Because her mother wasn't there. I mean, to not have a mom. I want, you to, I want you to put yourself in this picture for a minute. How would it feel like to not have a mom? How would it feel like even more to not even have a mom or a dad? Put yourself in this picture. 
In fact, maybe even do this. Think about some of your childhood photos with your parents. Think about all the vacations you took and how you went that one year, that summer. And think through all of that. And then I want you to start mentally removing your parents away from those pictures. How different would your life look? How painful would that be? I mean, what would be the long-term effects of you growing up without any parents? Because that's what Esther experienced. I mean, imagine the long-term effects that she experienced of, of the fear that not ever getting too close to anybody because they could die at any moment. To not have anybody to rely on. To be all alone. To have to be self-sufficient. That mindset, you know, it's just too much. It's not fair. It's too painful. That is what Esther experienced. And by the time, what's amazing, by the time this chapter is over, we're going to see Esther is going to be crowned the queen of Persia. And what's so amazing about this, guys, is this. Is that God, the God of the universe, looked down upon this little orphan Jewish girl and said, I choose you. I choose you, not just in spite of all of your pain, but amazingly enough, because of it. Because of all of that stuff, even though God didn't cause, I want to be very clear about that, God doesn't cause the pain, but he uses, the, he uses it, even the painful parts, so that we can impact other people. And I just want to settle on this. This is cool. This is going to rock your world. Look at this right here. You cannot separate your past from God's plan. Just like Esther, God wants to use your story to change the story of others, but you can't separate your past from God's plan. Even if you hate your past, some of you, maybe, you know, you, you just come from this bad, awful past of, of abuse and terror and horror. You come from a very, very painful past, and you would do anything to switch your past with anybody else. You would do anything to forget it. But what I want to land on today is God wants to use your past for his plan in your future. That you can't separate your past from what God wants you to become in your future. You cannot become the person God has planned for you without your history, without your junk, without your baggage. You hate your past. And I see there's two extremes here. One extreme is I just want to forget my past and repress it. And that extreme is wrong. The other extreme is to, be, is to have your future and your present controlled by your past. That's another extreme. And that is wrong. Somewhere in the middle is a balance that God wants you to be of health, of spiritual health, while you can remember where you're at, where you've been at, because your past is tied to the future that God wants for you. Now look at this, Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you, if you've grown up in church all your life, you know this verse. Let's, in fact, I, for I, what is that next word? Okay, this is an off-skate morning. For I what? I know God is speaking here and he says he knows something. He knows something, by the way, that you and I don't know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God has a plan for you. Do you know that? 
God has a purpose for your life. If you feel like you're drifting right now and you don't have a a plan or a purpose, know this, that God has a plan for your life. And that means you don't know it. And for you to be able to get involved in his plan, you got to come to him because he knows it, we don't. I'm going to keep on reading. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a, what is that next word? Future. And I hope I want to camp out on that word future because that word future, it rocks my face off. Now, some of you, you think, well, future, you know, that's just future. But this little Hebrew word, it has such a rich meaning and it can mean these four things. It can mean after, it can mean later, it can mean behind and following after later behind and following. Literally, what this means is what is behind and what is future comes from the same source. That, and one person described it like this. Is going into your future is like rowing a rowboat. Anybody ever rowed a rowboat? All right, anyone? Thank you. You're with me. Just me and you. All right. As you're rowing a rowboat, you're like this. You're, set, you're going this way, but which way are you looking? You're looking where you've been, Right? That is how this little word is. You see, it's like going forward in your future while looking at your past. What God is saying is this. Is God, God wants to use your past and to make even the painful parts of your past. He wants to make it. He wants to pull it out. He wants to take that coal and make it a diamond. He wants to change it. He wants to use your past for your future. You know, and even though God doesn't cause it many times, especially the the bad decisions that we make, God can use even our bad decisions for his perfect plan. I love that. I love that. Does anybody else get more excited about that than me? I'm telling you, I get excited about that because that means that even the junk of your life and my life, God can use. But we have to be, we can't be on those two extremes. We can't forget it. We can't even, we can't be held in bondage to it. But we can't be controlled by it. We can't be controlled by it. We got to remember where we came from. All right. Another, that's one verse that kind of gives this thing. Let me give you another verse. And this verse, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I just want to say this, that God is attracted to weakness. Now, see, that's a problem right now because some of you, you're, you're those hurly-burly army guys, right? That, like, I can kill you by looking at you, all right? I under, okay, um, I, under, you know, I understand those guys who are just big and muscular because you and I are in the same boat. Um, anyway, um, but, uh, but, you know, God is attracted to weakness. Now, hear me, it's not because it's anything that's really special about being weak. It's not that you're any more noble when you're weak. Hear me. It's when we're weak, then there's more of God's strength that can come through. I like that. When we are empty, then God can fill us up with his power. I think that's cool. So if you're in here and you felt, I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm having a weak day. God's going, hey, you can be strong in this. Look at 1 Corinthians one twenty six, Brothers. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That, were, that means you weren't smart. All right? Not many of you were influential. Huh, there's the word. Okay? Not many of you 
were from noble birth. You weren't from royalty. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify things that are. I mean, if you asked Esther, hey, give me a big list of everything that you're not. She could give you a big list. You know, I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not rich. I'm not powerful. I'm not influential. I'm not royal. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm really not a Jew, but I'm really not, you know, a Persian either. I mean, I'm just kind of compromised. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> And some of you can do the same thing as well. I'm not this. You know, uh, Chris, I can't speak like you do. Or, hey, I can't pray like some other person prays. Or, you know what, I can't I understand the Bible because I don't, I don't understand it. Or I've not been educated. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And could it be that when we say those things, we're focusing on the wrong person? Because the, the focus shouldn't be we can't, but who can? God. God can It is God who, when we can't do it ourselves, God's saying, you know what? I can't do that for you. I can't do that. But you've got to come to me because I know the plans. All right? Now, let's go back to verse 7. All right? And we're going to learn another fact about her. All right? So Mordecai had a very beautiful and lovely cousin. So she's beautiful and she's lovely. Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Hadassah is uh, her Hebrew name, and it means uh, fragrance or myrtle, and Esther means star. All right, it says, when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into her family and raised her as his own daughter. So who raised Esther? Mordecai, her male cousin. Her male cousin. Interesting that (laughs) one day he's a parent, and then another day he's not. Think about that. And he knows there's not any mention of that Mordecai's married. So there's possibly this single guy raising his, his female cousin. I mean, how do you, do, how do you even do that? I got to be honest with you. When, when we were, Kim and I were pregnant with our third child, we were scared to death that it was going to be a girl. To death. Because we had two boys up to that point. And I got to be honest with you. I got one woman in my life I don't understand sometimes. I did need two. So we were scared to death. Kim was as well. (laughs) And praise God, God gave us another little boy, right? Because I can understand little boys, all right? But, I mean, how do you raise a little girl? I mean, especially when you don't know how to raise a little girl. Could it be, and a lot of people think this way, a lot of commentators, that maybe what made her a little bit different and maybe even maybe a lot different enough for even the king to notice her was that he didn't know quite what he was doing, so he just raised her in maybe what things that girls normally don't get raised in. And that culture, girls, many of them weren't educated. So maybe he taught her to read and write. Most people think that, that he taught her to read and to write. And yet all of this stuff, it, it was, it's because of the pain, all of the pain in her past and his past, that fit into the, all of this stuff with... Mordecai raising her. All of these little puzzle pieces start forming the picture of who we see in the Bible as Esther. Because God is behind the scenes working all of these puzzle pieces out for his plan. All right? Now, let's finish the chapter. This is it. Verse 8. 
As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Uh, When it was Esther's turn to go into the king, it was early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. But Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and her family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. God took this orphan foreign teenager, and she is now the queen of the most powerful country in the world. Wow. Talking about a rags to riches. So, as we end today, do we just leave this here? Or can we take some stuff with us on this? Because I think some of you, just like me and all of us, our tendency is to just want to forget the past. Even the junk, even our bad decisions, even the bad decisions other people made for us. That God can use all of that stuff to prepare you, all of that, all your story, to change the story of another person. But in order to do that, you've got to take your past and hook it up with your future. Because God wants to use it all. He wants to use it all. Some of you are here today and you come from a very, very painful past. You you come from poor decisions that you have made. Maybe you had to drop out of school because of a decision. Maybe you had to drop out of college. You may have been fired multiple times because of a certain thing in your life. Poor decisions that you've made. Or maybe you're on your second or third marriage because of poor decisions that you've made. Some of you, you've had many business dealings and failed business dealing after failed business dealing because of poor decisions that you have made. Some of you are like, you know what? I've made some bad decisions, but really, my pain doesn't stem from the bad decisions that I have made. My pain comes from what other people have done to me. Know this, that though God, God is never absent. He was present during that time. He didn't cause it. But he is in control. And he wants to use even your painful stuff to influence somebody else's story. Are you going to let him? Are you going to let him? Are you going to keep on running from your past? Or are you going to let him? Or are you going to keep on allowing your past to dominate your present and your future? Those are two extremes. God's saying, no. I want to take all of that mess and I want to do something good with it. Let me do that. Let's pray. Dear God, I just, uh, I pray for everyone in here this morning, God. Lord, especially the people who just feel like, Lord, that in huge sections of their lives that God has been absent. In huge portions of their life, they just feel like, where was God when all of that happened to me? Where was God in the pain? Where was God when all of that stuff happened? Well, we can ask the same question, God, was where were you at, God, when 
they killed your son Jesus. The same place you were at when they killed Jesus was the same place you were at when all of that stuff happened. Lord, you are with us. And you want to take all of the painful stuff, God, and to give us a future, to give us a hope. Lord, I pray that we would be able to do that and we would no longer be in bondage anymore, that we would no longer be captive anymore, and that we would experience your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.